Please turn your Bible to Acts chapter 16. While you're turning, you know, we've all had life-altering events of some sort. We've all had life-altering events of some sort. Maybe some of you've had a car accident that changed your life. Maybe it was the death of a loved one. Maybe you were offered a dream job that you'd always wanted. Maybe your, child, your children were born and that changed your life forever. Today, we're going to be looking at a life-altering event. It's happened in the life of a jailer in Scripture. And so we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 16, and we're going to read verses 22 through 30. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison, of, of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for Paul and Silas and the jailer and the other prisoners here. We thank you that you control the events that surround us and that you use them for your glory. I ask this morning that you'll speak to us. I pray that we'll each have a life-altering event this morning because we've met with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, we're going to walk through the process of being changed because this was a big deal. The thing that happened here with the jailer, we begin with him and he was assigned Paul and Silas after they were beaten. And so he's got this responsibility that's given him by the chief magistrates. And he was instructed to guard them securely. So he takes them into the inner prison and fasten their feet in stocks. And so he was responsible. He took his responsibility serious. He didn't think this was something light. He didn't just blow it off. This was a big deal to him that they were securely kept. Now, they had already planted that into his mind, these guys did, because they had some fear of them. And so they wanted to make sure that they were secure. And so that was emphasized to him, which made what happened so uh, a lot more emotional and frightening for him because he was under strict guide 
to not let those things happen. And so he locked them down good. See, they were not going anywhere. He took them inside to the inner, I mean, you, we have jails today, and then we have, we have Supermax, and then we have, you know, so they had, this was their version of that. And here they are, after being beaten, locked down in ankle chains inside this prison. And so they did it. They locked them up tight after a day of beatings. Paul and Silas, here they were. You know, if I was beaten and I was locked inside a jail and then I was locked inside my cell, I don't know that I'd be singing hymns. But here they were. I mean, let's just be honest, right? Here they were singing hymns. And the other prisoners were listening. They were putting on a concert inside the jail for these other prisoners. Singing hymns of praise. Would a mighty God be served? Maybe not that one. Maybe one out of the Psalms that they all knew. Some of our songs today come out of the Psalms. And so they're all sitting there listening to this. You know, can you imagine? That must have seemed a little strange to the jailer. <laughs> Here's these guys. They've been through a rough day. They're locked in, in there. There's something different going on. They're in there singing. You know, and it's not some jailhouse song. It's the real deal. And so, if it were me or most people, they'd probably be moaning and, and unhappy after a day like that. But not Paul and Silas. And so, then this earthquake happens. And when we see earthquakes take place today... Buildings fall down, right? They crumble. We see it in other countries. We have, we have large ones. Bridges and roads collapse. People get killed. But when this earthquake took place, it was just enough so all the doors on the jail sprung open. All of them. And the locks that were on their hands opened up from the earthquake. Seems a little unusual, right? It's not usually what an earthquake does. It takes rigid things. I mean, you could explain away the doors maybe because as it moved and shifted, they came free of their, their latches. But how do you explain the chains and the wrists and all that? And so here they have this earthquake. But what happens is when that happened, it put the jailer at risk. The jailer's not at risk because now he has not done what he committed to do. And so he's fearful. The jailer, they called to him. You see, the jailer was going to commit suicide and Paul stopped him. He was suicidal because he knew it was coming. Because he knew it was easier to go that way than what they would do to him in his mind. And Paul stops him and says, hey, we're all still here. Which is really interesting to you. I mean, like, you can make an argument for Paul and Silas, but why were the other prisoners still there? Man, my door's open. I'm out of here. <laughs> I'll see you later. But for some reason, they were still there too. And so he goes in to check. And his fears were unfounded. He goes in and check, and he, with fear he falls down before Paul and Silas. 
And he asks them the most important question anybody can ask in life. He says, sir, what must I do to be saved? That is the most important question anybody can ask. See, Christianity today, it, it's really interesting to me what it has become. We think if we're born in a Christian nation, that means we're a Christian automatically. Or if we believe that there's a God in heaven and we would say, yeah, the Bible's true, then I'm saved and I'm a Christian. You know, the Bible says the demons believe and they tremble and they're not going to heaven. So simply believing or mental assent on these things is not salvation. You're not saved because of that. Well, but I go to church sometimes and, you know. So that should take care of me. No. Being a member of a church doesn't save you. Well, I'm a really good person and I've got all these things that I've done right. And I try to help people and have the right attitude. That doesn't save you either. Well, I've never killed anybody or stolen or cheated or told a lie. If that were true, that still wouldn't save you. Not enough. I've met people who said, well, my spouse goes to church and so I'm covered. I had somebody tell me that within two minutes of this church. I've had people tell me they're going to heaven because they were born in the United States. With a straight face. There's a lot of misconceptions out there today about what makes somebody a Christian. Do y'all know the origin of the word Christian? Have you ever studied that? The origin of the word Christian, it was a derogatory term. It was used at the Church of Antioch for the first time ever. They used it because they were marking people who were following Christ as Christians. And so it was meant to be a derogatory term attached to those who were following Christ who had evidence of that. And it has morphed into this tag and this title of, I'm really just a good moral person, so I'm a Christian. Let me tell you something, a good moral person doesn't make you a Christian either. And so that begs the question. The same question that he asked, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? See, there comes a time in all our lives when circumstances lead us to this question and it did for him when what you're supposed to be in control of falls apart and he turned to the Lord and so if you're that point this morning I want to answer that question I want to answer the question the jailer asked for us today what must you do to be saved What must you do to be saved? Well, in answering that question, 
We're going to start at the beginning and see what the Bible says. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now there's two parts to that. All have sinned. There are no exceptions. There is no one that has ever been born that has not sinned. We are conceived in sin in our mother's womb. That's why we don't have to teach babies to do wrong. They do it on their own. We teach them to do right. We raise them. You know, you say you need to raise them right. All. You're, you're without excuse. Every one of us was born as a sinner. The second part of this verse is the fact that we all fall short. We all fall short. Even if you could live the best life possible, it falls short because your righteousness is not enough. All the good you could do, you could save people's lives from disease and famine. You could build hospitals, give away millions and millions of dollars, and it not be enough. Because your righteousness will never be sufficient. Because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And so we are under, when we're born, when we come alive, when we exist, we're under condemnation of our own sin. And so we're told that all sin. And then Romans 6.23 tells us the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when you think of wages, that's what you earn when you go to work, right? If we work, we earn a wage. Or at least you should, unless you're volunteering. <laughs> Hopefully you're earning a wage. And that's what's due you. If you work, if you fix cars, if you do accounting, if you take x-rays, if you are a computer person, I'm not really savvy in that area. If you're IT, I know that word, IT, if you're it, that's terrible, I'm not a computer You should get a wage, right, if you work. And so that's what's due you. So the wages of our sin, what's due us from our sin is death. That's what's due. That's what we're due. That's what you're due. But he doesn't leave us there. There's also a free gift. We like gifts, don't we? You know, we're starting to move into the fall. Somebody posted the other day how many days are left to Christmas. I'm like, seriously, this is only October. But the decorations are already coming out and all that. 
We like gifts. How many of you have ever been given a gift by somebody and you try to go give them some money for it? Would that be a little bit offensive? Wouldn't you think that's a little offensive? <coughs> right? Somebody says, you know, here I got this for you, this present. And you pull out a couple bucks and try to pay for it. Well, let's take that for just a minute. Let's say David bought me a present. He bought me a new bottle. He said, man, that thing you're using, the pages keep falling out when you're up there and watching you. I can't, I can't have my pastor missing pages in his Bible. So he buys me a new Bible and he says, here, this is a gift. And I pull out $2 and give it to him because that's all I have. If he takes those $2, it's not a gift anymore, is it? I paid something for it. So when he says here that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, there's nothing that we pay for it because it's already been paid. We can't offer something up and have it be acceptable. Because it defeats what salvation is. See, everybody wants to talk about, well, if you serve enough, you do. Hopefully your good will outweigh your bad. Well, let me give you an example where good outweighs the bad and see if you would accept it. So it's an extremely hot day. You and I were working in the fields. And if you're willing to do that, please see me after service. <laughs> but we're working in the fields and... We're parched, and I don't know if you guys have done any work outside lately, but it's real easy to get a dry mouth. And I go get us some water, and I got two glasses of water filled with ice and, and water poured where the, the glasses are frosted up a little bit, and the beads of sweat are running down the sides. How many of y'all are thirsty at the moment? <laughs> And I set them down, and I pull out this bottle, and it says cyanide on it. And I get a pinch of it, and I put it in one of the glasses. And I said, you can pick either one. Which would you pick? We'd pick the one without the cyanide in it, right? Because you wouldn't accept that. But the water outweighs the cyanide. There's more water than cyanide. Why wouldn't you accept that? We know that we wouldn't accept it. God won't accept it either. Our good can outweigh our bad, and it's not good enough. It doesn't work that way. It does not work that way. Eternal, we are freely given eternal life. And most of us think eternal life begins when? When we die, right? Wouldn't that be our natural thing? We've all heard that. Well, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you go to heaven when you die. So we sell half the car. Eternal life begins the moment you say yes. And you begin to experience brand new life in Christ. From that moment, you experience eternal life here and now. It's not a future promise. It is a present hope and a present experience 
And so the wages of sin is death. That's what's owed. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so without him, without what he did for us, without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no hope. We have no eternal life. We can play the game and say, yeah, that's true. That's in the Bible. I believe that. But never transfer our trust or our hope to him. If I say, yeah, I believe that chair will hold me up, but I never sit in it. It never applies its abilities to me. We keep it at arm's length that way. But watch this. Romans 5, 8. Tells us this. God demonstrated his own love toward us. And then while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. Christ died. While we were living contrary to him. While we were racking up the stuff that was going to be laid upon him. While we were living opposite lives. While we were living where we don't care about him. Where we. Wanted to do what was right by our, ourselves. When we were opposite. When we were lost. He went to the cross. While we were yet sinners. He died and paid my wage. And because of that. I have the opportunity. To become a Christian. To become saved. This is all from the jailer's question. So somebody paid your bill. Woo-hoo, we got some other bills we'd like to send them. Somebody paid our bill. What we owe. And his name was Jesus. But the reason that he did that is because of his love for us. You know, you really have to love someone a bunch to die for them, don't you? Now, parents, you would die for most of your kids, right? (laughs) Most parents would. Kids, don't think your parents wouldn't give their life for you, because they would. You gotta love somebody a bunch to die for them. Today we even hear stories. You know, our first responders, our military, they're putting their they're running into the <laughs> our firemen. They're running into the fight where we're running out. They're laying their life. That's love, man. I'm telling you. Imagine. Imagine for just a moment. We talked about the cross and how horrible that is. But I'm not so sure that that's the whole story. I'm wondering if that's half the tar too. Because if we go back to Isaiah 9. And read about what it was like in heaven. Where he was high and lifted up, seated on his throne. And his train filled the temple. The angels were flying around. 
With two wings they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and two they flew, and they cried, Holy, holy, holy. And he laid all that down to come here to be treated like that because I sinned and you sinned. And so if we think we can skate through life and we're going to be just good enough and we're going to be, what must I do to be saved? Is the question. What must I do? It's not floating around along. It's not just believing that it's true. It's not playing the Christian game and I'm just good moral. That's not enough. Because that doesn't pay the bill. What is it? Well, Romans 10, 8 through 10, says this. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. That's what you have to do. It's not just believing. You have to confess. You have to come to him and admit that you're a sinner. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you and ask him to save you. He'll save you. That's what he, the jailer had to do. That's what he was left with. Confession is salvation. Believing in your heart is righteousness. And that's all there is to it. And let me tell you something. Then you experience eternal life now. Not just when you die. Now. That's what's lost. That's what people are hungry for today. That's what people are not seeing in the church today. People who are experiencing Christianity or genuine, genuine salvation now. And as a church, we need to lift one another up. We need to be loving and, and encouraging That's all there is to it. That's all there is to it. It's not hard. It's already in your heart and in your mouth. And so we're going to do something a little different today. I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes. And if you're sitting there and this was resonating with your heart because I remember sitting there and having to do that with mine. And going, man, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. If that's you, what I'm going to do is I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I'm going to tell you up front because the prayer is not magical. But if it reflects your heart and you feel like God's been speaking to you that you need to be saved, I want to give you an opportunity this morning. 
And I'm going to lead you from here. And when we're done, I'm not going to ask you to come up here. And I'm not going to come where you are. See, the Bible says that if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So this morning, the prayer would go something like this. I admit that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And if you believe that, we're going to pray that in just a minute. If you believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose the third day as payment for your sins, and are willing to put your faith and trust in him, you can be saved this morning. If you've never done that before, or if you have doubted, or if you have wondered, or if you were unsure, you do not need to leave here hoping you can leave here knowing. Because the Bible tells us that he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And so this morning, I'm going to lead us in this prayer. But I am going to ask you one thing. If you pray that this morning, I'm going to pray for you in my mind's eye. I will ask you to raise your hand when we're done so I can pray for you. Not by name, but by recognition. If that's you this morning and you've never done that before and you want to be saved this morning. And you believe the things that I just explained. Then pray with me. Pray, Father. I admit that I'm a sinner. And I can't save myself. I believe that Jesus died. Was buried. And on the third day. Arose from the grave. I ask you to save me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus name. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. If somebody prayed it for the first time, or you prayed it because you weren't sure, or if you prayed that because you meant it, and wanted to be saved today, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand right up and right down. I want to pray for thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. You can put it down. Anybody else say, that's me. I prayed that today. Anyone else say, I prayed that this morning. Father, I come before you right now. And Father, I pray for those who prayed this morning to be saved. Father, I pray and ask that you'll confirm in their heart their relationship with Christ. I pray that you can't, that they won't be able to help themselves, but to tell others about what you've done in their life and what are doing. I pray, I pray for understanding of spiritual truth. I pray for the experience of the freedom they now have in you and the joy of what it means to walk with you. I pray that your hand will be upon them. Thank you, Father, for the work you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.
Well, what does this say to us then? There's a couple takeaways that we have from this message about the jailer and how we're to be saved. Here's the bottom line, folks. We all know somebody who needs to be saved. We all know somebody. We know someone. And so there's somebody, if I were to say that, think of somebody you know that, that needs to be saved. There's maybe a picture of a face or a name or a friend or a relative or somebody or a coworker or somebody that that is in your relationship group. Then he's they come to our minds, don't they? We have so there's somebody that needs to hear this. We have the responsibility to tell them. Let it come up in conversation. You know, it's really funny. I had a it was it was just last night. I had somebody out at my place last night who asked me to pray about a situation. And this is not, this is somebody outside. I mean, they're in my sphere of reference, but sort of. <laughs> and I said, well, let's pray now. And they were like, we prayed over their situation right there on the spot. Opportunities present themselves. Take them. Take them. When they come. You want to know the truth? I was a little nervous when I said it. You? You're so loud? <laughs> I got nervous. So that's part of it. So if you get nervous, don't stop. Let's pray now. You know what? I would love that. If, if, if people would share prayer requests with each other. And they said, let's just pray now. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Have you ever been asked by somebody to pray for something? You said, I'll pray for that. I forgot to pray. That's terrible. I'm talking to myself. You can apply it, whatever. If somebody's sharing that, it's a heavy burden for them. God's been really speaking to me about that lately, about my life. Let's pray for them. You know what? I'd even hold service for that. Jesus said, my house needs to be a house of prayer. If there's people, groups praying because prayer is needed, we'll hold it. Because it says it here. And he's in charge. That goes against everything that we talk about. <laughs> but this is to be a place where God is moving and working. And so we are called, we have a responsibility to tell them. The decision is up to them and the Holy Spirit. It's our job to tell them, that's it. It's our job to just tell them. It's not our job to make them, to make them say yes. Don't think you've got to convince somebody. If the Holy Spirit isn't doing it, they're not going to be saved anyway. They're not. It's a work of the Spirit of God. You know, there was an 83-year-old man who lived his entire life as a bachelor. And things were getting harder and harder for him. 
And he called his four nephews in. And he said, I want you guys to know I've met somebody and I'm going to be getting married. And his nephews were shocked. And his nephews started to ask. They said, well, they said, are you marrying her because she's beautiful? And he said, no. Then the next nephew asked, are you marrying her because she's a good cook? He said, no. Then the third nephew asked, are you marrying her because she's rich? He said, of course not. And then the fourth nephew was puzzled. And he asked him, he said, well, if you're not marrying her because she's beautiful, because she's rich or a good cook, why are you marrying her? And this 83-year-old man said, I'm marrying her because she can drive at night. <laughs> and the moral of the story is, we need to recognize our needs. We need to recognize our needs. And there are people who need to be saved out there. And we need to tell them. And knowing what your need is, is important. And so this morning, I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes.